special guest today. We have certified sex therapist, Dr. Emily Jamia. She is an expert on all things love, sex, relationships. So obviously we had to have her on. So Dr. Emily, thank you for being We're here. We're so excited. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here today. I have so many questions for you. So many things I want to know. We're going to pick your brain. But I want to start out with your story. Let's what do made it. you want to become a sex therapist? Are you obsessed with sex? Like, what is the deal? <laughs> I mean, who <laughs> doesn't way, love sex? But <laughs> Right. Not in the way you might think. You okay. know, I was studying psychology as an undergrad, and I took a human sexuality elective. And I thought, well, this isn't really interesting. I Through that class, I realized that sex can be such an interesting window into the psyche. You learn so much about a person by asking questions about how they express themselves sexually. And obviously, it's such an important part of relationships. And I I learned later on that it's something that isn't even discussed in a lot of programs that are teaching people to be marriage and family therapists. And I'm like, how can anyone be a marriage and family therapist without at least one course on human sexuality? Um, and, and I just found out that there was a huge need for it. You know, I live in Texas, which is still relatively conservative. And at the time that I became certified, I was one of like three people in the city. Oh, wow. So, you know, and we have nearly 5 million people here. So there was a huge market for it. And, um, and yeah, so I, I just, as much as possible, I focused all of my education and research and electives in the area of sexuality and it became my niche. It paid wow. off. So wow. growing up was sex, like, cause you know, some homes are, you know, it's hush hush, it's taboo. What was, you know, growing up, was it a sex positive environment or what was that like? It was, I was fortunate. It was very sex positive. Um, my dad is an OBGYN, so it just oh my wasn't gosh. I mean, yeah, I grew <laughs> up hearing all kinds of things when he was on the phone with patients. Um, and my mom was progressive too. And even though I live in Texas now, I grew up in a really small town in Southeast Tennessee. And so that was oh. extremely conservative. Okay. And, you know, I think honestly, before I became a sex therapist, I was giving sex advice because my friends knew that it was something I was comfortable <laughs> talking about. And so they would come to me with questions. And um, so I think, yeah, if I really dig deep, it probably started even before my um, college studies. So wow. you were destined, you were destined to become a I think a I was therapist. destined. <laughs> I was, yes. <laughs> is it, um, is it true that when you have sex, something in the brain just happens? Like, do you become closer to the person? Do you become crazy? We all become a little psychotic. Uh -huh. <laughs> what happens to us? Well, what happens in the brain really depends on the context of the situation. So, you know, if the sex is pleasurable, if it's with someone who you care about, if there's an emotional connection, you know, that that can release all kinds of feel-good hormones, mm -hmm. um, make you feel bonded and really close to the person. If, however, it's someone who makes you feel anxious or insecure, or if it's lousy sex, that can lead to completely different reactions. So it's it's really context dependent, and, mm -hmm. and that totally determines how we feel about the sexual experience and also how we respond in terms of what happens in the brain and in the body. That's funny because... I'm not really sure what's happening in my brain. A lot of like people I know, I feel like having an orgasm is very hard. Like what happens in the brain that like we us people cannot get there? Like well, what for, is it's it? It's hard the for tips. a lot of women. I feel like it's easier That's for men, saying. but I feel like for women, some women never have experienced it. Yeah. So 
Well, if you think about the difference between the male and female body, so Mm -hmm. people who have vulvas versus people who have penises, and if you think of orgasm as in part being an evolutionary mechanism, so like males have to have an orgasm in order to expel ejaculate, right? That's how babies are made. So they have to have one or else the human race wouldn't survive, right? We need that experience. Um, Whereas women, you know, there's there's arguments. So I won't go so far as to say there's no biologic or evolutionary need for an orgasm. I, I kind of believe that for women, it helps the sex feel more pleasurable and therefore feeds into the motivation to have sex, but it's not like it's necessary to get pregnant, you know, an orgasm, you can get pregnant without an orgasm. So, um, I think that's why it's harder for a lot of women to get there is one, just anatomically, our bodies are a little bit different and our body's functions are a little bit different. Add to that all of the gender socialization that happens for boys versus girls. I mean, a lot of times if you like look at a baby boy playing with his penis, it's like, oh, isn't that cute? And then a little <laughs> girl plays with her vulva and it's like, oh my gosh, look at that. What is she don't, don't touch it. What is she doing? Don't, you know, so it can be a completely different response from a very early age. Um, on top of that, you know, historically sex has been in large part about the male orgasm, mm-hmm. you know, to a lesser extent, there's been a focus on female sexual pleasure. Unfortunately, things are changing, you know, but a lot of times people think that sex begins with the male erection and ends with the male orgasm orgasm. And it's like, where do women fit into the equation? So it is, um, (laughs) it's actually a complex question with a not so simple answer. It is multifaceted. Um, but there are a lot of reasons I think why it can be a little bit harder for women to get there. Uh Is there any, um, advice or any certain positions or things that us women can do to make it easier to get there? Well, you are your own best handbook. So the more you engage in self-pleasure and really understand your own body, I think Mm. is first and foremost, the best thing that you can do. Recognize that it's not necessarily realistic to expect to have orgasms through vaginal penetration alone. The majority of women have to have clitoral stimulation. Mm. You can think of actually the clitoris as like a mini penis, or you can think of the penis as a big clitoris. So anatomically, Mm. they're very similar. And just like you wouldn't expect a guy to be able to easily have an orgasm if you're just stroking like the very base of the penis. You can't right. expect a, a female to have an orgasm just through vaginal penetration. It just doesn't quite work that way. Mm-hmm. Most of the nerve endings are there on the you know external part of the clitoris. Mm-hmm. Um, so self-pleasure and then communicate with your partner, you know, I was just going to bring that up specifically yeah. what feels good, you know, are they doing this right? Do they need to move up or down? Um, you know, and then there's no reason why you can't be an active part of the process. If they aren't really doing enough to help get you there, you can quite literally take matters into your own hands. Um, and then as far as positions go, I think anything that allows easy access to the clitoris for a lot of women, they say will help get them there, whether that's, you know, girl on top or spooning, um, you know, those kinds of positions can help. And it's hard to have those conversations. I feel like there's so much anxiety around those conversations. I feel like a lot of girls, like they make it all about the guy. They're performing as if they're having the orgasm. Well, shit, I'm not. How do I bring up this conversation? And yeah, I mean, that's we, hard. It's hard. And we have to move away. I mean, both men and women have to move away from the idea that sex is for a guy. I mean, that kind of thinking 
needs to like go down in the history books as something like, oh my God, I can't believe we ever thought that way, right? With a lot of the things that are, we look back in the history books and we're like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I mean, sex at a bare minimum should be about, of course, mutual consent, but also mutual pleasure. You know, both partners have to be invested in making the sex good, which is, you know, equally considering female pleasure as equal to men's sexual pleasure. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, you know, a lot of people ask me, how do I have the conversation without it feeling awkward? Yeah. Right. Or without it being anxiety provoking. And my answer to them is you don't. You accept the fact that it might feel a little uncomfortable but you don't let that stop you. And you recognize that putting it out there can be an opportunity to become more intimate, to feel closer mm -hmm. to one another, to get on the same page. And then once you're over the hump, like you've had the conversation and you can just enjoy yourselves, like mm -hmm. move on. So, okay. What about this? What if you're in the moment? And sometimes us women, we just, we know our bodies. We know we're not going to get there. At least for me, I'm like, I know it's not going to happen. That's okay. Because I feel like the climax isn't the goal. You just got to enjoy it. What is a way to communicate? Like, you know, I'm done. It's not going to happen, buddy. And that can be kind of awkward, right? <laughs> sure, sure. So unfortunately, a lot of men's egos like hinge on mm -hmm. whether or not they're able to give That's their partner, partner an <laughs> orgasm. Yeah. And so I, I'm always a, of the mind like, look, a partner, uh, sorry, an orgasm is not something someone can give you. It's either it's yours to have or not to have. And to your point, a lot of women will say that they completely enjoy a sexual experience, whether or not they've had an orgasm. So if you communicate that, you can say, you know, I, I feel really good. I am kind of in a good place. You know, you could feel, feel free. We can end whenever you're ready. However you say it, um, if they get their feelings hurt or they get frustrated, I would say that's a conversation you have a little bit later. Hey, you know, my body is a little bit different than yours. And you can kind of explain to them what I just explained about how men and women's bodies are a bit different. Um, and how a lot of women now, of course, there's exceptions to the rule, but there are plenty of women who won't feel that same tension that men might feel if they, mm -hmm. you know, if their arousal builds and it doesn't culminate in an orgasm. Well, some women might, but a lot of women say they have a great time whether or not they have an orgasm. And so I think that's a conversation that's best had um, when you're not between the sheets. Now, what about masturbation? <laughs> masturbation really is wonderful. It's a you know, there's um, research to show that women who engage in self-pleasure have higher rates of sexual satisfaction because they know and understand their body. It's a great way to relax, to explore yourself, to conjure up fantasy, to get in touch with yourself in a way that you might not be able to in other situations or even with a partner. Mm -hmm. um, I want to say things are changing. You know, you hear more and no, more totally. about like sex toy parties and things like that, where it's becoming a more regular part of the conversation. Um, but we need to destigmatize it. And I think a lot of it goes back to what people think of women when they think of women and sex versus what people think of men when they think of men and sex. There's this idea that like women have to be quote unquote pure or not sexual. It's like, it just, yeah. it's these double <laughs> yeah. standards that hold yeah. no place and do no good for anybody. I mean, it's not uh -huh. good for men if they are with female partners who aren't in touch with their sexuality. So mm -hmm. masturbation is a great way to get in touch with your sexuality. And I think, I think things are changing slowly, yeah. but surely. Do you think it's realistic for a guy to never masturbate again? If like you're having sex with him, like he doesn't need to masturbate because like he has me. 
you think that's realistic? Like, I, I don't know. I'm just so curious your thoughts. I mean, is it realistic? I, I don't think that's necessarily like a fair expectation to have in a relationship. Mm-hmm. It's not realistic to, I mean, you might meet every single need that your partner has, but um, that can be a lot for one person to take on. And masturbation can be a great way to um, kind of close the gap when maybe there are some differences here and there. Um, plus remember masturbation, what I think a lot of people don't realize is that sex is an opportunity for both men and women to feel not just physical pleasure, but also emotional closeness. And a lot of people have this idea that when men want to have sex, it's just about getting off. Mm -hmm. And if that were the case, they would just masturbate because they can get themselves off anytime they want. Right. Just as women can. Um, but I have yet to have a couple come into my office where let's say it's a heterosexual couple and the guy has higher desire and he's saying he wants to have more sex for him to say, well, it's just because I need to get off more, you know, no, it's because sex is an opportunity for them to feel intimacy and closeness. Now, Having an orgasm can do a lot of things for a person. It can help you relax. It can be a way to alleviate stress. It can help people fall asleep. And so it may be that your partner is masturbating for some of those other reasons Mm -hmm. and not just for kind of the emotional closeness and physical pleasure that I just Is there ever a time when it gets out of control where it's like, okay, you have a problem? I think, you know, the... There's no diagnosis in the DSM or in the ICD, which is what we use to diagnose people with like mental health disorders for like sex addiction. Now, Mm -hmm. there there is an idea that any kind of sexual behavior can become out of control if it's interfering with work or interpersonal relationships. When we take a closer look, though, like if we think someone's masturbating compulsively, a lot of times we find that it's how they feel feel about masturbation. That's really the biggest part of the problem. So it's usually a conflict, like it's kind of a moral dilemma. Like they feel like for whatever reason, masturbation is wrong and is something they shouldn't be doing. And therefore they label themselves as having a problematic sexual behavior when really at the end of the day, it's not necessarily affecting their work or their relationships. Now, have I seen people that it you know they get busted at the office looking at porn on the computer? Have I seen people who are yeah like chronic philanderers or people who are always masturbating and instead of seeking out a sexual experience with their partner and that's creating problems in the relationship? Ooh. Yes, I have seen those. So I guess the short answer to, to your question is yes, it can become problematic, but it's not so simple of an answer. What if? a partner gets jealous of a partner masturbating and watching porn. Cause I know I'm like that. I'm like, don't watch porn. I want She's you to psycho. only have eyes for me. Is that like, what do you I, do about that? I think we have to reframe it. You know, a lot of times people, yes, have reactions like you. They're like, oh my gosh, you're looking at other people and having a sexual response to them. You know, but what I tell people to think about it is porn for a lot of guys is kind of like, a vibrator is to a lot of women. Yeah. It's just like a an easy, surefire way to build arousal quickly. And that's it. And a lot of times it doesn't have anything to do with them comparing you to the people that they're seeing in porn. Now, sometimes it can, and we can talk about that. But, you know, unless there is something 
specific that you're worried about, then a lot of times, you know, porn is just a way to quickly build arousal. And yes, now it is out there. You can find just about anything with the click of a mouse. Um, but it, 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 in most cases doesn't mean anything about how they feel towards you. It's, it's just like their version of a vibrator. What about first dates? Do we sleep with the guy on a first date? It does if it you matter. want to <laughs> like, do, I know, you but know, like, does it matter? Like, do you think that, you know, a lot of people like don't sleep with the guy or don't or don't kiss the guy on a first date? Like, does that really like make a difference? Do you think like, do you find that? I don't think it makes that big of a difference. I have worked with plenty of couples who have had sex on a first date and are very happily married and committed to one another. And I've had other couples who wait a long time and are miserable and couples who wait a long time and are happy. I mean, there's just, you know, we have no evidence, like scientific evidence to suggest that those kinds of dating rules bear any long-term effect on relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you ultimately feel judged by your partner because you decided to have sex with them on the first date, then that's probably a red flag because right then and there, there's a gender bias, right? They're maybe not judging themselves for having sex with you because they're a guy, but because Mm -hmm. you're female, you quote unquote, shouldn't have done that. Like that kind of bias is going to show up in other areas of your relationship. So if it's important to you to date someone who's a feminist and who values gender equality and they have a negative reaction because you ended up having sex with them on the first date, then they're not worth dating. Mm-hmm. That's so Yeah, true. it's another one of those society things. And we always hear like, oh, make him wait, make him wait. But it's interesting because you said you see couples that do it right away and they're happy and then vice versa. You also yeah, mentioned red flags. What do you find that are some major red flags that we overlook? Like dating red flags? Yeah. Dating red flag, sexual red flag, whatever. Just red flags. Like, what are we missing? So, you know, as far as sex goes, definitely if you're feeling pressured to do anything that you're not really comfortable with, that's a red flag. You know, I've worked with clients who, you know, have partners who early in the relationship start kind of pushing them or and be a little bit manipulative and about them doing things that is maybe just a little bit too far outside their comfort zone. So that can be a red, red flag that someone might have a kind of a coercive or domineering personality. Um, as far as dating red flags, I, I always think like if anyone is ever rude to people in the service industry, like that for me is a yeah, huge totally. red flag. You know, I think yeah. it's just so important um, that we don't maintain relationships with people who aren't kind to others. Um, If they're talking all about themselves on a first date and they're not really asking too many questions about you or giving you the space to talk and share, then I think that's a red flag. If at an early point in the dating process, something comes up that you realize you have completely different value systems on. I mean, we're Mm -hmm. seeing more and more how important it is for couples to be more like politically aligned. This didn't used to matter so much back in the day, but it it kind of does matter now, I think because of all the social implications that mm-hmm. your political stance can have. And so that can kind of be a, a pretty early indicator that there may be differences that are going to be difficult to manage long-term. So yeah. Um, yeah, those are some things. I, you know, a lot of times people say like, if someone is a terrible kisser, then that's a kind of a red flag that they might not be very good in bed. And so that's, I think, something to pay attention to. I do think a 
kiss is a good way to really quickly assess whether or not there's really? any chemistry there. Wow. Um, okay. You know, but I also am of the mind that people, as long as there's a willingness willingness to learn, then, you know, sometimes a little bit of feedback can go a long way and the relationship can still work out. Yeah. So you say, you know, you have a bad first kiss. What if, you know, you're on a date, excuse me, you really like somebody, you click, you hit it off and then you have sex and you're not sexually compatible. Can that get better? Or is it like, we're just not compatible? Well, we have to break down that word compatible. So if you feel like there's just not chemistry there, if they don't really give you those feelings of butterflies or excitement, if it's just kind of like, oh, I just felt like I had sex with a friend or something like that, mm-hmm. like that's not really something we can like create, you know? So I always ask that question to couples who I work with. I ask, you know, it's one thing if the chemistry and passion was there in the beginning, but maybe it's been kind of lost over time, then it's something we can work to get back it was never there to begin with, there's not a whole lot I can do. So that's one layer. If it's a matter of like skills and technique, maybe they're just like a jackhammer, for instance, (laughs) you know, and if it's just a matter of giving them the feedback of like, Hey, you need to slow down a little bit. Like those kinds of things. I think having a conversation, because I always tell people, you know, yes, there are books and things like that out there on sexual technique, but at the end of the day, your partner is going to be your best guidebook. What one person liked might not be what your current partner likes. You know, maybe their last partner really, really enjoyed oral sex, but like, that's just not your thing. You know, those sorts of things can always be talked out. Um, Now, if there's a big difference in sexual preferences, so maybe one person has a specific kink that they really like to do, but the other just isn't at all interested in that, then that might be a long-term compatibility issue. Mm -hmm. If one person is really sexual and likes to have sex a lot and the other person, you know, likes to spend their time in other ways and maybe doesn't necessarily want to have sex as often, then that's something to kind of think about. So it kind of depends what aspect of compatibility we're looking at. Wow. So what about when there's like fire and sparks in the beginning and over time you're together for a few years and it just kind of fades. <laughs> How do you reignite the spark? That's the million dollar question, right? I know you get oh, asked shit. that all the time, but is there like a science to it? Like in the beginning, it's like you come so fast. It's, it's so yes. great. It's so, and then it's just like, but that's what's routine. so scary. It's like, are we meant for one person? If things just become so like this, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. Are humans meant to be monogamous? I'm actually curious. There's like that. 9 million questions. I know. I'm like, we're I know. I know. We'll take them one at a time. I know it's a big question because yeah. And all the, the follow-up questions are totally valid and definitely related. Um, so I'm actually writing a book about how to maintain oh passion. God. So keep an eye out for that. Cause that's going to have a ton Amazing. of information in it. It's probably not going to come out till sometime next year. We're just sort of in the early stages, but um, definitely follow me or, you know, I'm on all the social media, so you can stay up to date there. Um, And I do think I have some really good stuff worked in there about how to maintain passion, especially in long-term relationships. You know, and and the short answer is in the early stages of a relationship, when you're in the honeymoon phase, everything feels effortless and easy and you're falling in love and all is good in the world. Um, But as that initial intensity starts to wear off, which it has to, or else we would get nothing else done (laughs) with our time Um, and the neurochemicals kind of come back down to normal. That's where the intensity transitions into intimacy. And that's where 
love as a passive process becomes love as a verb. And anything that is worth doing in any aspect of life um, is going to take some intention. And I think we take that for granted when it comes to sex and relationships. We get complacent. We think just because it's not happening easily or effortlessly that the chemistry is gone and the passion is lost. And usually that's not the case. You know, it's not necessarily rocket science. A lot of times if two people, you know, roll up their sleeves and start making sex a priority again, then there's a lot you can do from that point to reignite the passion, you know, getting back in touch with the body, making, well, I said, making sex a priority, staying curious about yourself and your partner and how your sexual preferences might be changing and evolving with time. So there's a ton there that you can do. And, and also it depends on what is the culprit of the distance and, eroticism, you know, are you bogged down with little kids? Are you really stressed at work? Are there body image issues? Is there trauma from your past that's just now coming up? So when a couple comes in and they're complaining of these kinds of things, I put my detective hat on to see, you know, if there are any like deeper underlying issues that we need to address, because I always tell people, you cannot separate your sexuality from your individuality. Anything that contributes to who you are as a person and anything that affects your relationship is going to show up in how you feel about yourself sexually. So there's that. Um, now to your follow-up question about whether or not humans are meant to be monogamous. <laughs> um, it's interesting. I, I think that there are some people who are perfectly happy and fulfilled in monogamous relationships. And I think there are other people who are not, you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't know that I would go so far as to say that all humans are meant to be one or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we do have to acknowledge that now we are living longer than we ever did before. The things that made people start having more monogamous relationships, like the need for economic security and proof of paternity, we don't really need anymore because women right. are in the workforce and they can take care of their themselves. Economically. That's that right. Yeah. And you have paternity <laughs> tests. So you know who the father of your baby is. And, you know, yeah, if you look back, um, you know, in history, we have more evidence to suggest that humans weren't that monogamous up until like religion entered the equation. And we moved from being, you know, more nomadic to staying in one place and having property. And then women kind of became property. So, um, you know, I think with any relationship structure that you decide, there are going to be some benefits and there might be some drawbacks. So, you know, I, I do think it's something to be very thoughtful about. You know, I think a lot of people just jump into marriage because they still think that that's what you're supposed to do yeah. um, when maybe that's not the best fit for them. So I think it's a like question that. worth reflecting on. Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned a sense of autonomy. Yeah. So I think it, it, I'll say it's important to have a sense of autonomy in your relationship. And what does that mean? I don't even <laughs> it, it means to have a sense of self separate from who you are as it mm -hmm. relates to your partner. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you always loved going on motorcycle rides on the weekends in the countryside, like don't give that up just because mm -hmm. your partner is not interested in it. 
or if you always loved going out dancing and your partner isn't really into that, like don't stop going out dancing. If you have a, you know, a strong belief about something, don't necessarily change your mind just because your partner is pressuring you to conform. Um, this all ties back to this concept called differentiation. And this was a term coined by Murray Bowen, like who's a decades old psychologist and kind of one of the father of systems theory. And without getting into that too much, essentially what differentiation means is understanding who you are as an individual part of, of a group. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe you grew up in a family that had really strong beliefs about something, but as you enter into adulthood, you realize that maybe you don't really feel the same way. And so that in and of itself is a process of differentiation. You can still have a close tie with your family, but maybe you now have your own beliefs about something. Mm -hmm. And the same is true in relationships that you want to have a sense of self separate from who you are as it relates to your partner. Um, because without that, if it, if we stay stuck in this, like kind of fused, you know, to become one kind of thing that we sort of like all feel at the beginning of relationships, um, there's no space in the relationship and a little bit of space and psychological distance is important Mm -hmm. for desire. If we're too close, it's like Esther Perel says, you can't, I think she says like desire, is about wanting, right? That's um, to love is to have, to desire is to want. So mm-hmm. there's a little, having a little bit of that space there, I think is important. And that's, I definitely get that's that, what it means yeah. to be autonomous. So yeah. don't be sardines essentially have your right. own life. Well, it's, and, it's you know, though, like a lot of people become codependent, you know, that's such a thing. I feel like nowadays, yeah, more than ever, it's so easy. It's ever easy to lose COVID yourself. Yeah. It's like people become codependent. It's like, let's just Netflix and chill. It's not, you know, I'm going to like skip out on going to dinner with my friends. I'm going to like forget about my own like stuff that made me have. We have friends and, you know, they have lost themselves in relationships, but they like don't see it. Like why? Yeah. Like what happens to us that like we can't see? outside? I mean, it? it's complicated. I think, yeah, sometimes people do become codependent, which is really it, it, codependency can show up in a lot of different ways. But in essence, I think it's when we compromise our own feelings to caretake our partner's feelings. Like we mm. put them, their feelings above our own. And in doing so, we lose ourselves mm. in the relationship. Um, and I think a lot of, I think it's well intended. A lot of people feel like they want to put their partners first and they want to mm. prioritize their relationship. They want to make sure they're having quality time together. But you don't want to do that, that it's coming at a cost of other relationships. Like my husband and I, like he has his guys night. I have my girls night. We have our date nights. And so we're very intentional about trying to balance all of that. You know, I'll do a trip by myself. He'll do trips by himself. We do our trips together. We do our trips with the kids. You know, we try to balance everything so that all of those needs are being met. And I think that's one of the things that keeps our relationship really strong. So you also seem like um, a boss, babe, like you have your own thing going. He has his own thing going, right? Like you guys have your own stuff. We do. We do. And then we have a lot that we do together. So um, I think that's also what kind of keeps things interesting. I love hearing about what he's doing with his work and he's super supportive of what I'm doing with mine, but we each have our own thing going. And and I think that just makes for a richer, more interesting and exciting relationship. Mm -hmm. I love that. So you mentioned morning sex. There's something called the theta brainwave. I don't know if I'm saying it correctly. There's some science to morning sex. Can you elaborate on that? 
Yeah. So, you know, we, our brain goes through different wavelengths, depending on what stage of sleep or wakefulness we're in. And when we're sort of in that in between, like our bodies are still super relaxed and the prefrontal cortex, which is in the front of the brain, this is a part of the brain that's very active in, you know, decision-making, planning, rational thinking, personality. It's like that, like kind of self-awareness is that voice mm -hmm. in your head that like never seems to shut up. Mm -hmm. um, that part is really quiet when we're in a deep state of relaxation. And so if you can get sex happening when you're in that state, sometimes orgasms happen more easily. It's mm. easier to stay connected to your body. You can feel really emotionally close because you don't have that like higher order thinking happening so loudly because you're not fully awake yet. It's just sort of this kind of more primal connective um, place to be, which can make sex feel really good. I don't know. The breath would just, I know well, that's why it's my, much my follow up like, is like, how do you keep it sexy? <laughs> like, but like, babe, I'm going to go brush my teeth. Oh, and then someone like the me, morning, I'm like, let me have my coffee. Uh, don't talk to me for like an hour till I wake up. So how do you, I guess, sure. Hey, it's not for everybody. And you know, maybe you don't have like making out be a huge part of morning sex. You can still true. kiss we'll each other on the neck it. and the back or you know focus more on your hands and maybe that's just you know you're not going to kiss true. that much during that. morning sex hopefully <laughs> so hands down the most common yet complicated issues that couples therapists sex therapists treat is couples dealing with a discrepancy in sexual desire meaning one person wow. wants to have sex more or less often mm -hmm. than the other that you know to date is the most common issue that we see um but as I was saying before, there can be so many reasons why there's a difference. And so you really have to, there's not a one size fits all approach. Um, you have to take a kind of a bird's eye view as to what's going on that's causing one person to want to have sex more versus less. One thing I will say is we never want to pathologize the person with lower desire. Um, a lot of times people come in and they are automatically like, well, this person has low desire. We need to get their desire to match mine and then we'll be happy. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We need to look at what's going on that's causing the difference and see what you can each do to narrow the gap so that it feels easier to manage. Mm -hmm. um, it's rare that we get with someone with whom we match up with in every sexual domain 100% of the time. There are going to be differences. So it's to what degree you're managing them effectively. Um, and that that's going to determine the health of the relationship and how satisfied you feel emotionally and sexually. Mm -hmm. They say to never go to bed angry, but you say to go to bed angry. Disagree. Why is that? <laughs> Go I to agree. bed angry. I, I think why is that? <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, they say take a time out. Um, and sometimes you just need to like sleep it off, I think, before you can really take a more clear-headed approach to whatever is causing the conflict. I am a proponent of going to bed angry if you need to, even like taking a night in separate beds if you need to. I mean, whatever you need to do to calm yourself down a little bit so that you can have a more rational and productive conversation about the conflict, do it. Because if you try to push an issue when someone is too emotionally activated, the conversation just isn't really going to be very productive. So sometimes True. that can be 15 minutes. Sometimes it needs to be a solid seven to eight hours. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, my rule though is 
try to always come back to the issue within 24 hours. So oh, you don't want to keep putting rule. it off, but yeah. you know, if someone's bringing up something that, you know, is a source of conflict or is going to piss you off, you know, you can say, I can't talk about that right now, but let's talk about it tomorrow when I get home from work, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're not avoiding mm-hmm. exactly doing now. My thing is uh, moving in with a guy. I feel like I am so used to how I work, what I like, what I do. I like things a certain way. Then all of a sudden you move in with a guy or a guy moves in with you, whatever you guys are sharing space. That's, that honestly like makes my stomach hurt. <laughs> um, I like, you know, cause everyone's so stuck in their ways to move in with someone and think, Oh my, I don't know if I could live with this. Do you find I that? know. I do think that what temperature you like to sleep at needs to be part of like premarital counseling. <laughs> oh, it's so <laughs> it's true. Thing. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So it's hard. And I do think, you know, the older we are, as we start to kind of merge and make some of those changes, the harder it can be. Yeah. You, know, you want to identify the things that you really can't compromise on. But, you know, at the end of the day, you will probably find that there are areas that you're more willing to collaborate on than you initially realized. And view it as an opportunity to grow. It's it's all about a reframe, right? An opportunity mm-hmm. to grow, to make space, <laughs> to enhance as to anything mm-hmm. that is limiting or making you lose yourself. But, you know, it's always important to sit down and kind of review your non-negotiables versus what you may have going on that there's a little bit of wiggle room. And, And let's say, hey, you are a kind of person that you know what you like and, you know, this is the way it is, then maybe you need to partner up with people who have more easygoing personalities, you know? Maybe it's not a good move to pair up with someone who is, (laughs) <laughs> as firm in what they want or how they like right. the space as that's you. actually true more of a puppy dog someone will just like go with whatever you want <laughs> there you go yeah. do you find that it's better for couples that move in prior to marriage or, oh, yeah. or do you think they should wait till after marriage? like what or are you engaged about? like you know i can't remember specifically what the research says so don't cite me on this but i feel like what the research says, and I have to go back and double check, but I think it says that there is benefit to living together before getting married. Um, you know, just cause it gives you a, a, you know, better opportunity to see how compatible you are sharing a space mm-hmm. prior to like making things official. Um, but you know, I think unless for like a religious reason or something like that, you are just not comfortable with it until getting married. I am a proponent of living together for a little while before making things official. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like test driving the car. <laughs> but yeah. then some people get so comfortable. That's the other side of it. Then like, then a, a lot of guys are like, then what's the difference? Why would I put a ring on your finger and make this whole ordeal mm. when like, why are the cow and I'm getting the milk? Exactly. Kind of already then then you got the girl nagging. I thought you were going to marry me. And I feel like it becomes a cycle. <laughs> right. And then move well, out. Well, I mean, I then, think yeah. that you have to have that conversation before moving in with someone, you know, you don't mm-hmm. want to move in with someone too quickly. I think it's important to have some of those big picture items out there before taking it to the step where you're cohabitating. And if you're clear that, you know, ultimately you want to get married, whether it's with them or you realize things don't work out and it's with someone else that you don't want to necessarily just stay in a long-term partnership without the commitment um, or legal 
um, benefits that marriage can offer. And I think it's also important that you both examine why marriage is important to you. You know, at the end of the day, we still, our society is kind of set up for marriage in terms of insurance and tax benefits and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, medical power of attorney and those sorts of things. And so there are definite, definitely some advantages to being legally married, but, um, you know, something that I think a lot of people are putting off for other very valid reasons. So mm-hmm. you just, just like anything else, it's a conversation you need to have with your partner mm-hmm. before finding yourself in a situation where now you're sharing bills and a roof and everything mm-hmm. else. And it's not something you've ever talked about. And then find out later that I don't see any reason why you should get married. And it's Uh-oh. something that you've been like counting on for months now there's not always a perfect time to bring it up. You know, I think when you feel like the relationship is getting more serious and you're becoming more intimate and more committed to one another, just like you kind of talk about whether or not there's sexual exclusivity or you're off the dating apps now, um, you know, there will come a point at time where you you, you can kind of say, Hey, I I really enjoyed our time together. I can see you as a long-term partner. I'm wondering if you feel the same way. And if so, can we kind of make sure we're on the same page about a few issues that I think are important? You know, you get comfortable together and you kind of don't dress up as much as you did in the beginning. Do you think it's important to put yourself together? Like, is there something to it where you kind of lose that attraction or I don't know, I guess what I'm asking are is, visual. is it important to kind of keep up? And cause I'm like that, I can kind of just like, Oh, I'm going to be in sweatpants today and tomorrow. Sure. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, I got a lot of pushback for a video I posted where I said five things I would never do as a sex and relationship therapist. And one of those, I think what I said was don't get like lazy and complacent in your relationship. Mm -hmm. And the example I gave was not to schlep around in your sweats all day long. Well, Julia, what I meant meant was also what I always say to people, people is like, look, let yourself age. Don't let yourself go. Does this mean that you need to put oh. on red lipstick and high heels every day and sexy lingerie every night? Hell no. I mean, there's plenty of space for lounging around in your sweats and being comfy and letting your partner see you in bare face. And that's not what I meant at all. Um, I will say though, just you don't want to lose the things that maybe your partner was drawn to early on in the relationship. And so Mm -hmm. if one of those things was maybe putting a little extra attention into how you look when you guys go out for a date, you know, if you think that that's important to you or if it was important to them, you don't want to let that go. If, you know, you seem to really genuinely care about what was going on in their life, but you are so comfortable in the relationship that you don't really ask as meaningful questions about what's going on with their work. Like that's not something you want to let go. Um, and so I do think it's important to identify the things that attracted you to one another in the beginning and make sure you don't completely lose touch with those things. If that makes sense. And my husband always used to say, oh, you're so much more beautiful without makeup. You don't need it. You know, I love you just without any of that stuff on your face. Not that I even wear a ton of makeup, but then COVID happened and I did not wear makeup for like two years. And then I remember the first day I like got fully dressed for work in the office again. And he's like, wow, you look amazing. And I'm like, see, I think you actually yeah. do like a no, little bit. I, agree so, I know you yeah, they say that like, oh, you look, you don't need it. And then at least for me, I'm like, okay, if that's what you say, because I don't want to wear makeup if I don't have to. So I'm going right. to wear my glasses, my, no makeup, my sweats. Yeah. My, I don't care. It's but, all or nothing. But you know, the thing is, I think he was being honest. I think he really does love how I look without makeup. But, you know, it was different because I had had two years without it pretty much, give so or take. 
spiced it um, up. But it goes that way for men too. I think it was more seeing me like dressed up for work, going to the office, back in touch with like my professional side. That was exciting for him. You know, I I think that's what I had to do. I feel like a lot of guys don't lose yourself don't lose parts of yourself that it's true you. I feel like that guys was always like something that. that he liked was that you know I was a boss yeah absolutely I was, yes, I'm I sure like he that. loved that but I was gonna say it's the same for men too if they're kind of in sweats and whatever it's like okay it's cute but when they like have their suit on they got the cologne they did their hair I feel like we notice it as well yeah everybody's crazy about a well-dressed man yeah the song oh, had yeah. it right <laughs> it's so true it's like okay I like you better yeah, now. like it Being and look even dude. like animals out there in the wild will like prim and you know themselves to attract a mate I mean even ones that are like paired up there's like links that they go to to try to make themselves stand out in nature and I think there's something to putting a little bit effort into your appearance. I think it's like a self-care thing, honestly. Again, no. Do you need to wear like lipstick every day? That is not what I'm saying. (laughs) But it's like, for example, I think here's a a really good way of thinking about it. When I have couples come in and there's a concern that maybe one person has like gained a lot of weight in the Mm -hmm. relationship, Mm -hmm. what is really at the bottom of it for the other partner in terms of how they feel about it Mm. is, um, a concern that they like are they're They've lost their self-worth. They don't care Mm -hmm. about themselves. They're not taking care of their bodies. Like what is that saying about their mental health? Not that we, everyone listening, not saying you have to stay in perfect shape. Like as we age, our bodies change and that is completely natural and normal. And it's one thing if there's something going on medically that is completely out of your control. And I don't hear that from partners as much that there's the same level of concern if it's like a medical issue that they have no control over, if they're still doing other things that indicate that they are taking care of themselves. Um, And so I just think it's, you know, you want to make sure you're continuing to take care of yourself because you value yourself, your health, and you're putting that effort into it. Thank you so much for everything. I don't know if, do you have anything else? I I I mean, I could go on and on, but uh, there's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) But you host a podcast as well. You post on your social media, amazing videos, tips on love and sex. Where can people find you? Thank you. So my podcast is called Love and Libido. So anyone who wants to learn more about sex and relationships, definitely subscribe, check it out. I alternate between interviewing other experts and answering subscriber questions. And so those are always fun episodes as well. Mm -hmm. And then, yes, I'm on all the social media channels at Dr. Emily Jamia. That's Dr. Emily Jamia. And you can go on my website too. Um, Got an online workshop there, which essentially is is what the book is about. So if you can't wait to find out the (laughs) secrets, you can go do my online workshop and the outline is there. Amazing. We're going to keep our eyes out for the book. That's so Thank exciting. You. Well, thank you so much. But I am a chase drinks.